Welcome to Church Hurts and the good, the bad, and the ugly about church, religion, and spirituality with a dash of recovery thrown in. If you've ever had questions about the church, maybe a bit jaded in your attitude toward religion, well, you've come to the right place. Our host, he was an honors philosophy student, ordained a Presbyterian minister, planted three churches, taught at a prestigious university, but now, now he's just an aging curmudgeon who never quits asking the question why. The host of Church Hurts and Dr. John Bash. I was only 15 when I first thought about going into the ministry. In light of the fact that I hadn't grown up in church and my mind was filled with sex, isn't that what being 15 means? It was a unique spiritual dynamic. Still, it was at that age that I received a call, as the church would call it. That was a long time ago. But isn't it interesting that I talk about that, ministry and sex, in the same breath? As I look back upon it, I never really veered from that direction for the next 30 years. Wait, am I talking about my call to the ministry or a mind filled with sex? Sometimes I wonder if they aren't the same thing. Uh Uh-oh, we're headed for trouble here. Since I'm in the distant past, I might as well go down those ancient streets. I remember wondering what it would be like if I really did become a minister as I pursued education in that direction. I became acutely aware of how clergy was perceived in the world around me. Remember the televangelist scandals? Jimmy Baker, Jimmy Swagger, famous TV preachers who not so euphemistically got caught with their pants down. I'm not sure what the numbers were, what the cause and effect formula was, or who exactly is to blame, but I do know that church attendance has declined significantly in my lifetime and dignity and respect for the clergy has gone with it, and a lot of people roll their eyes when this subject comes up. You see, it didn't stop with the headlines. Almost anyone close to the church knows of some story where sexual scandal in church got into their world. This minister did this. That priest did that. The volunteer who disappeared with rumors following them just this week. I talked to a man who was a generous donor on my support team at Standing Stone Ministry. He's a deacon in his church and takes meals to seniors during the pandemic. And he was telling me about the background check he had to go through to be a volunteer to take meals to seniors. So today we brought an expert uniquely qualified to speak on the subject of sex, church, and ministers. Oh my. Welcome to Church Hurts and Reverend Ned Beal, how's that for an introduction? That's pretty amazing, <laughs> but pretty Ned, right on. I've opened up a can of worms, but you're used to it. And I hear you um, even run into some groups where people who seek recovery from sexual addiction hang out. Do you really believe there's such a thing, or is it just a cover for oversexed people with weak moral constitutions? I'm of the mindset that there really is a problem with sexual addiction uh, today. I think it's um, much more prevalent today than it was ever before in the past, only because 
we have much more media input into a person's life than we've ever had before. 60 years ago, um, you know, it was very difficult to get access to uh, pornographic material or sexual material. Um, now it's it's everywhere. It's it's rampant. It's on billboards. It's uh, in every any commercial every commercial. It's it's everywhere. So the temptation has always been there, uh, but it's just that um, there's always been the, that that men and women have always struggled with temptation. But uh, it just seems that the media uh, devices out there have uh, have catapulted. I think the problem where um, people are addicted to um, relationships, um, sexual encounters, um, pornography, uh, masturbation. Um, it's something that within them that they um, they need to cope with life or to numb out the pain in their life. Uh, those are things that uh, that are real, in my opinion. I know that there's there's a number of um, uh, psychiatrists or doctors who think it's not there, uh, it's it's not real. They just basically call it hypersexuality with a moral problem with it. Uh, okay, okay I, I think let me let me just cut you off for a second because okay. I think there's a general acceptance of we have an issue with sex in, the, in this culture. I, I think most people are going to say, oh yeah, one way or another. I mean, I just noticed the news this week. There's a thing about a. 11-year-old girls in Hollywood and over-sexualizing this movie. and But don't you're a minister, Ned. Don't people go to church to get away from this stuff in everyday life? Do they really want to hear about addictions and problems? Isn't church a way to escape that stuff? For John, for some it is. Um, they want to, for some, church is a bubble. Right. So I want to walk into a church and I don't want the world out there to follow me into that church. And yet, um, if you've got struggles with uh, issues of, uh, of pornography or sexual addiction or, you know, or you're holding, you're, you're hiding a sin that you've been carrying in you, um, you, you, you want to try to think, ignore that it's there. You want to play that denial game. But, um, so yeah, there's people that don't want to even hear about it or talk about it. There's no question about it. But then you have people that um, are really having some struggles, and it's hurt their relationships with their with their marriages and with their family, and um, and so they're coming to church and they're hoping that um, they can find some hope and relief or something to help them. Um, you know, when the church doesn't talk about it, um, they're talking about it, they're making a statement about it. But yet, the answer is not necessarily just to be obsessed and talk about it all the time. But I think to honestly deal with it as it comes uh, and needs to be discussed. So, yeah, uh, and especially when you've got one book of the Bible called the Songs of Solomon that are pretty, um, pretty graphic in 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 a literary way about se about sex and, and the feelings of, of romance. And um, so uh, it's it's part of that. And plus, we've got drama in the Old Testament with David and Bathsheba. So I mean, it's, it's, right, let, let's let's stay for a second on that Song of Solomon. Um, you know, there was a whole period, like hundreds of years in the history of the church, that interpreters of the Bible went to extreme lengths to talk about how that was the spiritual analogy, that it really wasn't about what it said it was. And fortunately, we got to the place that somebody came along and said, what if it means what it said? What if it really is this amazing, sensual love story and people are like oh 
church is supposed to be clean and not dirty like that? Might there be a connection? Well, before we even get down that sidetrack, Ned, you you have a story that gives you a passion for people who struggle with this kind of thing. And before I act like that's people just out there miscellaneous who are those strangers, probably almost none of us have had life that hasn't in some way been affected um, by people's attitude towards sex that was unhealthy. How did you get to the place that you're so healthy and you're kind of an expert? Is there a story behind it? Well, the story behind uh, for me has been that um, I've had my own struggle with, uh, with pornography and addiction and masturbation from from many, many, many years ago. And, um, and it's not that I'm over my struggle with lust because um, I'm a typical male and I see things that can be stimulating and, you know, there are times that, uh, that those feelings, that flesh comes, that fleshly nature within us that, that rises within and temptation still. I'm not immune from temptation. Um, but, you know, many, many years ago, I had a struggle with pornography and, uh, I was addicted to it and I didn't, wasn't, I wasn't an internet person because when I was struggling with it, there wasn't the internet like it was today and you, um, you had to go to video stores and to rent you know, soft porn, soft porn videos or hardcore, which I never did hardcore, but, but, you know, soft porn videos. And, you know, there's a rush of secretly going in there, looking at videos, renting them, hiding them, using them, waiting for your spouse to leave, then watching them and then, you know, acting out. And then, you know, it was, it was driving me, it was ruining my life. It was ruining inside of me. I was eaten up. I feel like I was living two lives. And, uh, and I was with a group of uh, covenant brothers in Christ who basically, when I shared my heart with them and shared the struggle, these guys prayed with me, but they pushed me and in loving ways, but strongly pushed me to, to really address this issue and to get the help that I needed. And, um, and, and God opened a door for me to get the help that I needed. And, you know, I was able to uh, go to a, a place in, in Arizona to see a specialist in this area who helps people in that regards and uh, worked with that person for two weeks. And then I got into, you know, 12 step recovery groups to get over, you know, have to get overcome or to overcome those, those urges. And so those, that control that it had in my life. So wait, wait, let me, let me hold on just one second. Go backwards a little bit. When you were in the midst of that struggle, how much did did it affect the rest of your life? Instead of it just being an escape a periodic escape. Did it affect other things? Was it affecting your marriage? Was it affecting your work? Was it affecting other relationships? Well, it affected, here's how it would have, first, first of all, it affected my marriage because when you are, when you're having what we call sex with yourself through masturbation, you're relieving yourself through that, through that means, which means that you're not, it, it decreases the urge that you're having for your spouse at the same time. And so, mm-hmm. um, it affects that. Plus, it's, it's there's a barrier between you and your spouse, um, and and it's a blockage, and and it just happens that way. The other thing is that when you're in that, you, you know, you're in a protective mode. You know, it's like it's no different than an alcoholic who's trying to protect uh, himself from people finding out that he's drinking. You know, and they try to put on the airs that everything is okay. It's uh, sometimes you, when someone's uh, suspecting of you or catches you, you blame other people. You rage. You you know, you find other ways to do that. And many times with, with pornography addiction, 
you also have addictions with other things. So me, I had an addiction also for, with food. And so, um, and so it affects that. And then you're living a double life. And that's, it's just, it's very difficult to live a, a double secret life uh, and to function that way. So yeah, it affects all of those kind of things. And so when I, uh, while I didn't come out to my church in one sense, I did come out to, to, to some covenant brothers, but getting free of that when I then, God brought men into my life who needed help. And I was the guy that could help them. It's like that Paul saying that God who comforts us, we then turn comfort others through the struggles that they go through. So, you know, God brought healing to me, but so that then I need to be an agent of healing to other people. So I cut you off. So tell me about healing. You, you, you said you went and got some counseling. You went to a place. How do you go from what you will now, you know, call an addiction, um, and I, and I want to, after, after you answer this, I, I want to ask you to give us some definitions here because, you know, there's some people listening now who may be saying, well, I don't know, do I fall into that category? But before we get there, how did you find help? What was the key? What, what, what made the turn from an addict lifestyle to a person in recovery? Well, I can only describe it, um, John, in recovery type of terminology there's a point where you hit a bottom. And when you feel like your life is falling apart, you know, like the step, the first step is you admit you're powerless over this problem in your life. And so as a Christian, I didn't want to be struggling with this. I felt tremendous guilt and shame. And, and, and yet I was caught in this cycle. Uh, and, and I, I can't tell you how many times I would pray to God, please stop this from me. And, and I promise I'll never do this again. You know, all those kind of, those kind of you know negotiations with God, and yet you still have the struggle. And so you get to a point, just like any ad- addict in any other addiction, you get to that point where you hit a bottom, and everybody's bottom is different, right? And so um, I hit my bottom. I shared with my my covenant brothers, and they pushed me. And that that I think hitting that bottom, having my covenant brothers push me to get help, um, and then them you know turning me on to a to a, to a place in, in Arizona to do that. And I recognize that's difficult for a lot of people to do that. In fact, even when I when I had to get help, I had to call my denomination and talk to the privately to somebody in the insurance stage part and told them, here's the struggle I have. And they were very helpful and said, we will be able to cover that for you um, through that outpatient care in that regard. So that was very supportive of, of that. But again, you hit a bottom and then you get the help and here's the thing: you have to you have to be willing to turn your life and your will over to, to God for help. Uh, there's the point where you surrender your heart and your life to God to to help you, you know. And and, then, and here you here you were a minister, and they're telling you what you need to do is turn your life and your will over to the care of God. That that right. had to be humbling, right? Very hum, very humbling. But but and yet in many ways, I was turning my life and will over to God, but there was still a struggle that I was not turning this part of my life and will over right. to God. And most recently, you know, I've been really uh, battling my addiction to food as well. You know, um, it's you the look same. Fit. I know you're a fit guy. You, you do that cycling thing and really you're still struggling with food. You look great. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, there, my wife can, my wife can go visit the grandkids and there's chips in the house and man, it's like I can hear them calling to me, you know? And so, um, you know, you have to learn surrender techniques and, and work in the same kind of 
steps as you do with any kind of addiction, you, you want to be able to do that. So, yeah, I mean, you have to come to a point where you're ready to release it. So it's like, um, it's like, uh, years ago, I had a gentleman that came to me and struggled with alcohol and, and I, he said, I don't know what to do. And I, and I just, and I said to him, I said, the only thing I could tell you, brother, is to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And his comment to me is that I can't do that. And then I said, the drink. Because, <laughs> because, because there's really nothing I could do to help you unless you're at that point where you're willing to do whatever it takes to get the help you need to do. And eventually he did do that. Give me some definitions here. What's the difference between the person who says, oh, I occasionally look at porn. Of course, now it's a whole different day with everybody full access to whatever they want on the Internet. We know that. The the person who would say, oh, yeah, that's a struggle every once in a while. It's not even a struggle. I just enjoy that versus someone who says, no, I'm really addicted to it. How do you how do you put those categories in there? Who should go to a meeting and, you know, who should maybe be looking at it just in a different way? Well, it's a great question, and um, there's really not an easy um, uh, way to answer that in categories, in, in strict categories, um, but it does help, John, to understand this. And so, I mean, you gave me these questions before, so I was able to kind of think about some of these things. So, you know, it's like, um, to me, um, one of the things that I realized when I when I was in my addiction strong in it is you objectify women you know because women are objects to you you just you don't there's no intimacy you don't know who they are um you don't really even care whether that's somebody's wife or somebody's mother or somebody's daughter or something like that or a person made in the image of god and so um you kind of you kind of objectify but but so when here's the way that i understand here's the way that i've kind of i would tell you this you know it's kind of like um you know Remember when we were kids growing up, uh, we had to watch this this uh, movie in high school called Reefer Madness, and um, and you remember that that the whole premise of the Reefer Madness movie that everybody had to watch was that uh, that if you smoke pot, you're going to become a drug addict, right? And so uh, that was and it was probably to put the fear of of God into you not to smoke pot because if you smoke pot, you're going to become a drug addict, right? You're going to become a heroin addict. And so they would show somebody one day smoking the reefer and then the madness for the next day that he'd be putting something in his arm. And, you know, we now know that um, that smoking pot doesn't necessarily mean you're going to become a sex addict, I mean, excuse me, or a drug addict. But here's the interesting thing. Drug addicts, most 98% of the drug addicts started with pot. Uh, it's the same thing. Watching porn once in a while, for sure, is not going to turn you into a sex addict. But sex addicts always started with one or two or once a month or twice a month, and then it moves from twice a month to once a week, and then from once a week to twice a week. And then you say, only on Mondays, right? Um, and only on now it's only a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And the weekends, I don't do that. Or I'm only doing, you see what I'm saying? You, you, you negotiate, you minimize, you rationalize it. And then all of a sudden, uh, those who are addicted to porn started off just casually watching once in a while. But so, that doesn't so, mean that anybody who casually does it once in a while is going to become a porn addict. Okay, so I'd say the definition would be the degree that this is leaking in and affecting other areas of your life is something you really ought to pay attention to. Absolutely. And, it, and that, would be, that would be said of anything that we would put in the addiction kind of category, isn't it? Right. 
Um, someone says, um, yeah, I love the one somebody said about alcohol. They asked, you know, so do you, do you wonder if you're an alcoholic? And, and, uh, the, basically the response is normal people don't. <laughs> right. So if you're even asking the question, maybe you have an issue. Um, but this is church hurts, Ned. And, and, I, and you're willing to get honest about a lot of things. We got to get honest about church. You know, church has historically really not done well with this stuff, have they? No. Historically, I would say you're absolutely right. So you look at the, um, uh, you look at, you, you mentioned the Jim Baker, the Jimmy Swaggart scandals. Um, you know, in one sense, you could almost, when you, when you'd listen to Jimmy Swaggart, you know, rally against people that were struggling with, with, uh, sex and sexual immorality. He's, it's one sense he's almost crying out. I need help because I've got a problem with myself. You know, and the louder he screamed about it, the more other people said he, I bet he's got a problem with that. And so, um, you know, they don't deal well with this kind of thing because when you ever talk about this issue, uh, there's that there's that mantra that somehow there's perversion around it. And um, and for some sex addicts, there is some perversion, you know, um, but most people are not at that level. And so uh, but there's that there's that shame and that deals with that. So a lot of people just it's very difficult for people to come forward and talk about those things. Plus, the church, um, you know, up until about 20 years ago, it was still living in the Victorian age in attitudes toward this, you know. Um, it's very difficult. But I think things have, in many ways, have changed. Um, I know the church that I attend, we've done a couple of studies on sexual uh, purity, and uh, we've done, you know, I've, we've done some video teachings on it. With, and there's some great material out there today that's really helping a lot of Christian guys deal with this. Plus, we've got we've got recovery groups in churches, and we got Christian recovery groups, and so yeah, I mean, there's been a lot advanced to do that, but historically, it's not been uh, one that uh, we've talked about. And again, like I said to you before, it's almost like AA. If you're an alcoholic and you go to AA, people say, "Oh, okay, that's cool." But if you go to if I go to Porn Addicts Anonymous, they may go, "What's that about?" You know, um, right. there's, there's, now, there, there's a stigma. Yeah, so the, the anonymity side can really be helpful. Um, you're putting a lot on the line, and I want to thank you. I mean, I just think, oh, it's so embarrassing in a way um, for people to say, oh, what's the stereotype? Now, you've, that, you've been in ministry and have such a credible ministry for so many years, and it probably gives you some courage that you put some time there. Um, but I do want to thank you, and and at the same time, just push, though, because, again, at Church Hurts, we acknowledge that's amazing. What you're doing in your church, uh, you have recovery across the board for people with all sorts of uh, recovery issues, and and there, it's it's really neat. But you're unique. The point is, you're unique, and you've been trying to get other people to say, "Hey, you really ought to." There's rooms all over this country filling up, whether no matter what label you put on, whether it be NA or AA, or there's just this huge need. Um, for addiction work in this country, and yet in the church, it's still the low bottom of the totem pole. You talk about being a pastor who's in charge of recovery groups. One of the pastors said he gave himself the name the pastor of pain, which I thought was pretty funny. But man, that's the that's the low end. It's still not really respected, and yet you'd think 
the church is a place where they ought to thrive on this stuff, right? Right, especially when you think about that the Bible is not silent about talking about human sexuality. In fact, if anything, when you when you study the scriptures, it's it's all through there, right? That we are created um, as sexual beings. God wired us that way, you know. Um, and so, this in one sense, there's nothing there's nothing inherent there's nothing inherently evil about uh, about having sexual feelings. Of course, after the fall, then we know that sin can get in there and we can get messed up and corrupted and all those kind of things. But um, but even still, um, God created us to be sexual beings, you know, and not just for procreation, but for pleasure as well, too. So there's great pleasure in that. So um, I enjoy I enjoy life with my wife and I enjoy the pleasures that we have together. Um, so uh, there's and that's something to be celebrated. But I think it's but it's but it's only been recently we've been able to maybe start to have dialogue about that. I can tell you this, that whenever I and it's not that I've um, and I've when I've ever preached on this particular topic when I was pastoring a church um, and, you know, maybe I do it maybe once a year or every other year, whatever, whatever the scripture was bringing to you could, you could hear a, a pin drop on the carpet you bet. You uh, bet. because people were like, this is wow. This, this is it mesmerizes people to, to have to talk about. It. And yet after talking about it and dealing with an honest and open and, frank way, you know, with respecting, you know, without protecting my own anonymity, but protecting everybody else's confidentiality as well. Um, never graphic, never anything like that nature. But the point would be is that people then come to me and say, thank you for that. Or all of a sudden I get calls from a husband, a wife's husband, who's, you know, said, boy, I needed that. And this can I, how do I get help? Can we talk? Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's the good stuff. I do. I want to bring Paul in here um, as he joins us. It just reminds me of early in my ministry when I was preaching. A woman came up to me one time and she said, "Do you know what it's like sitting next to a teenage daughter when you're preaching on sex?" And I said, "I, I have no idea. Tell me." She said, "It's horrifying." <laughs> and, and for the mother, it was yeah, yeah. For the mother, she because. We really were very direct and honest, and it was a fun topic in the church. But it, it, there is that question, oh, aren't we supposed to kind of be a little bit prudish on things? And I think I was less so when I was young. But, Paul, you got to have a twist on this. Wow. You have talked so much. First of all, let me just applaud you for what you do and for bringing this out of the shadows and into the light. Uh, oh, my goodness. I'm a good Irish Catholic. We're, you know, I used to say my mother had, and I'm an only child, my mother had sex once, and she didn't like it. That's the way I was brought up to believe. You know, real women don't do this. Come on. Pure women, holy women, uh, going back to the days of the Puritans and, uh, and the Catholic Church having celibate men lead the congregations. It's just, why are we so hung up about sex? And is it just in Western society they seem to be a little more open about this in other countries and other cultures. Why are we so hung up about it, and is it just our hang-up? Well, I think that, you know, when you, you're talking about that, Paul, I, I think of the pendulum swinging. So in years of past, it was the pendulum swung upon the Victorian attitude that we don't talk about this, we make all the jokes and the comments, and we don't say anything about that. 
and there's problems that are going on, but we cover those things up. We repress those things. Right. And, and then, and then what's happened in our culture since the sixties, because the sixties basically opened up, uh, you know, a, a Pandora's box, right? Right. And now the pendulum has swung all the way to the other side and anything goes right. And it's all out there. And now people don't know what, how do they, how do they deal with this? And so it's, it's, is how do you come to that center motion of that pendulum swinging there in the center that we can have this kind of conversation and really, and really in one sense say, let's address the issues and let's talk about some of the social issues, uh, the social pressures upon men and women. Um, how do we, let's, the Catholic Church should have a dialogue about should we should we end the celibacy of the priesthood? You know, Amen. have an honest conversation <laughs> about those kind of things. You right. know, uh, but hey, because, and Ned, let, let's really apply what you said. This the last couple of weeks, Jerry Falwell's son sexual right. scandal. We're talking about the group that's supposedly really conservative, the former kind of moral majority. Right, and when he gets caught, what was the caught this time? The scandal was a threesome. That he, he, his he, wife. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, th- a threesome kind of, you know, whatever, some other strange thing. It, it's not just like, having an affair. It's it's having, yeah, uh, letting exactly. other men have sex with your wife and watching this. Yeah, right. right. So and, yet, and, yet, and yet if you had somebody on the left who did something like that, the media oh. would play it way down, right? They would say, oh, that's normal behavior or what? Who, who are we to get involved with people's personal lives? Well, right? you can't necessarily go there. They 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 took Epstein out pretty good, but that's not quite in the church context, right? But I think yeah. I think the point is that Americans, left and right, have this hang up about sexual issues. We're either trying to repress it and deny it, or not even talk about it, or we go to the other extreme and anything goes. If it feels good, let it happen, baby. You know. But we seem to be obsessed with the subject. It's in our movies. It's in our culture. It's in our ads. Um, you know, we just are. On the one hand, we're just, and maybe because it's so, it's always been so sinful. It's always so scintillating. Is there a place for the church to create a healthy sex, a healthy, not just a healthy discussion, but to a place where, beyond just procreation, a man or woman, you have a child, now never do it again. Um, I never heard those discussions. Sexual. I'm taught to be honest. I'm taught to be uh, helpful to others. I'm taught to be kind and not cheat and all these other values that they place great you discussions. Want a, you want a Christian Dr. Ruth? Or yeah, right. There yeah. you go. <laughs> well, I don't know. You know I, the, the, I mean, there's there's been attempts at that, and I think that um, – you know, I think Steve Arterburn wrote a book called Out of, uh, "Every Man's Battle," which has been, which was a, which is a thing uh, that helped a lot of guys. Um, there's a there's a video series called Conquer Series, um, and it's it, when I went through it, I've been and my 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 knowledge of sexual addiction and porn addiction. These guys had done their research and they were doing something really powerful and honest out there, and they're doing something to have dialogue and have conversation and they're and they're providing coaching for churches to see how they can work into this kind of thing uh promise keepers tried to do it many years ago Mm -hmm. but it just wasn't the right time for it you know um because there were uh it just it just they couldn't facilitate that conversation within the church i don't think the church was ready for it but yeah i think there's a point where you have to have that conversation in the church and 
even still there's Victorian attitudes that are still prevalent in the life of the church, not just in the Catholic Church, but in the Protestant Well, well. Queen Victoria, didn't she famously say, you know, all women should lie on their back and think of Mother England here. This is not something to be enjoyed. This is something to be endured uh, for the good of the country here. Um, I'm Irish Catholic to know that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, exactly. <laughs> and, yet when, and yet when you compare our culture to the ancient Greek culture that the Apostle Paul lived in, um, they had complete temples uh, for this kind of, for pornography and prostitution and things of that nature. Yeah. It was just, it was, it was so rampant, it was destroyed, it literally destroyed their culture. Well, and look at not just, you know, what we're going to call heterosexual, but oh my good, homosexual or any other right. sort of imagination that you, I mean, there's, we could go down a lot of rabbit holes here. I'm going there, Paul. You're not no, helping me either. No, I'm just saying that this, all of this create. We, the church has created a notion, in my opinion. This is just my opinion, having grown up in a in a Catholic world, and I don't think the rest of the church is that much different. Where the subject is taboo because there's something wrong about our sexual feelings that just needs to be repressed and ignored. And you've brought even another thing to our attention right away when you came in. That's why I love bringing you in, Paul, <laughs> is this discussion has been very male-oriented. Very. Oh. And we would really make a mistake, um, a, a big mistake. If, if we, we didn't think that women way. didn't have this problem. Exactly. Too. Yeah. exactly. I was you're gonna... being honest, and it's about you, and I'm a male, and I'm an interviewer, and you're the producer, and you're right. a man. But reality is women have this issue as well not holy and, women not good women they don't think of such things here come on thank you thank you Paul. <laughs> and and but i really do just want to call attention to that because then there are groups let's just and i'm going to have to wrap up but let's just be really practical um people who do have issues with this can find significant groups to help them they don't have to be alone is the good news can find it both within church and outside of church um, and where would they go? Be practical. Where the person, the person's listening now, man or woman, and saying, you know, I, I'd like to just even talk to some people about it. Where do they go? Well, I could tell you, John, that, that um, across America and around the world, um, there's a ministry called Celebrate Recovery Ministry that started out of Saddleback, and uh, there are over 30,000 Celebrate Recovery groups around the world internationally. And, um, and I would tell you there's probably at least 20,000 of those that are in the United States alone, and there is, uh, and they're they're addressing all of the addictive issues, but even this one. So that's a that's a that's a good thing for people to know that they can, if their church has a celebrate recovery ministry, they can go there and get and, and have anonymity and confidentiality. There's also there's also secular groups out there that are twelve step based. There's a essay called Sexaholics Anonymous, there's Sex AA, Sex Addicts Anonymous, and then there's one called SLAA, Sex Love Addicts Anonymous, and so they all have, they're all there to help people um, to deal with this particular issue, so you don't have to walk it alone, but you do have, but even still, you still have to come to a point where you, you, you've hit bottom, you want to say, I want to be free of this, I want, I, I don't want this to be in charge of my life. I don't want it to have the power over my life um, that it once was. So, you know, for me, Amen. I've got I've got over 25 years of sobriety in, in porn addiction. And so, um, but, you know, I work at it every day. I have to. Well, and I just, I just got to say, I got to leave it there. It is an everyday issue. 
it is recovery, and you have been a model and have helped so many people, Ned. just want to say thank you. <clears throat> Somehow, somewhere along the way, church people came to be equated with that establishment. Good, clean, proper, church-going members of society they were. And nations came to be Christian, too, or at least Catholic, or Orthodox, or Lutheran, or Anglican, or some descriptive adjective of Christian. It became the law of the land to be proper church-going folks. In my day, the number one objection to the Christian faith I heard was, the church is filled with hypocrites. Nowadays, we're told we, in the postmodern era, we are live in the postmodern era, or the post-Christian era, being a church is just passe. Christianity is a belief of the naive ancients. Now it's common for people to refer to themselves as being scientific, as if that is a natural antonym for Christian. I'm one who believes that the historic Christian faith has never been defeated logically in the world of ideas, despite of what academia claims. Aquinas' five proofs for the existence of God stand up quite well when submitted to intellectual rigor. But what does that have to do with sex? Try to follow me here. Many people are curious about God's will. I've taught whole courses on the subject. The Apostle Paul actually boiled it down to one sentence. It's this, in 1 Thessalonians 4, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Big word. God wants you to be holy. Be holy like your Father in heaven is holy. Now, that may sound kind of heavy and scary, but it's wonderful. But catch this, since we don't have all day. How can I do that? How could I start? We read, it's God's will for you that you should be holy, sanctified, and the First thing on the list is that you avoid sexual immorality. Sex matters. Wait, you mean to get right with God that I have to somehow deal with my sexual behavior? Yep. Yikes. Anything but that, right? You see, God knows us. He made us. He made us sexual beings, and when he calls us to himself, he knows he is calling sexual beings. Sex is great. He tells us that. Just get it in the right context or you're going to have a really messed up life. I'm so glad that there's an option. God's hand is there to hold along the way, and it's worth a thought. This is John Bash for Church Hurts Ann. Well, <laughs> that was worth a thought for sure, and brings us to the end of this edition of Church Hurts and Next week, it's rumored, we'll be walking on the edge of controversy, stirring the pot of denial and finding movement of the divine in unlikely places. Be sure and join us. 